Welcome to Activate Church Podcast, and thanks for listening. We hope this message helps you, and we pray that God speaks to you through this week's message. It's so right that on the last week, we would talk about the end, okay? Now, when I say the end, right, I'm talking about the end of things as we presently know it and the theological term that you would use to try to unpack you know this or or to look at what we're gonna uh, hear tonight is this word eschatology and the word eschatology comes from a latin word eschatos which means last so we're looking at the very last things that are going to happen on the on on the planet now All the stuff we've talked about so far has been completely in our past, sometimes in your present, right? But everything that we're about to talk about is now in the future. It hasn't happened yet. And I promise you tonight, it's going to get wild. No, like, like some of you are just not ready for this. I mean, like, you're not ready wild stuff that you're going to hear that's going to absolutely blow your mind. Now, come with me for a minute. This is important. I'm going to be speaking about some things that some of you will have never heard before. And you have to understand, like, if you are a Christian and you're here today, you already believe that God created the entire universe and everything in it. You're, you already believe that God literally breathes out stars, that Jesus died but was resurrected and overcame death and defeated death. You already believe all of that. You believe that He can part the Red Sea and do the most amazing miracles. So what you're about to hear tonight is going to get wild But I'm telling you, just because you've never seen it before or never heard it before doesn't mean it's not going to happen, but it's just you're just not ready for this just yet, all right? So we absolutely need to pray for this message tonight because I said it's going to get wild. So we're going to pray and then we're going to get straight into it. Are you ready? All right, good. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for tonight. Thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, for your truth. And God, I pray that you would just help us tonight to unpack and to understand everything that your word says and what your word teaches. And uh, and God, let there just be a spirit of revelation tonight that helps to point us in the right direction. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, many of you would probably know that I am a dad and I have three kids and I get up uh, every morning uh, when I get up early, I walk down to my kids' bedroom when they need to get up and uh, I have to get them up, get them ready for school and I'm always met with the same question, which is, Dad, what am I going to wear today? I, 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 don't, I don't know what I need to wear. And so we will walk over to the... Uh, blinds, whatever, and I could l- open the blinds and they would look outside. And this is the amazing part to me when it comes to children. Even when we're looking outside, they have like zero idea about what to put on. I have opened the window before and the rain is like this, like just sideways. It's like ice is on the, on the window. It's freezing. And I'll turn around, they're in t-shirt and shorts. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? It's like the middle of winter. Like, well, you've got to dress for this, right? So this is what I need to do. I, 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 I've got an app on my phone and uh, I take that out and I have, to, I have to look at this because they say to me, dad, what do I need to wear today? Now it's a trick question because we live in Melbourne, <laughs> all right? And it's a trick answer because we live in Melbourne because... In the morning, it could be one temperature and it's going to change, like the weather will change four or five times. In fact, if you're getting ready to get dressed in Melbourne, you know what would be really helpful and beneficial with, are those pants where you can just zip them off at the knees and they become shorts. But don't ever do that because you will look ridiculous. And I'm no fashion guru or anything like that, but please do not wear those pants because it won't help you socially. So... So anyway, they have to get ready for this weather and they don't even know what it's going to do. And here's my point. How do you prepare for things that are so uncertain? Well, I tell you what, when it comes to the Bible and when it comes to the future, there are 
there are probably about three things we can be absolutely certain that are going to happen. Number one, God is going to create a new heavens. Number two, God's going to create a new earth. And number three, and this is really important because this is what we're talking about tonight, God is going to restore people. Now, you got to understand that even though we know that those three things are going to happen, there is a whole process attached to those events. And that process is the lead up to those events. And I'm going to tell you all about that tonight. And tonight is going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant because there is so much for you to wrap your head around. But it's cool. You can podcast it later and listen to the parts that you're like, what did he just say? So you got to get ready for this. Now, God is absolutely committed to this process. And we'll take you through that tonight. Now, here's the thing when it comes to heaven. If you were to ask the average person, right, how do you get into heaven? I'm not even just talking about Christians. I'm talking about just people. How do you get into heaven? One of the most common answers that I hear is that if you're good, you will get into heaven. You say, well, what's heaven? They say, heaven? Let me tell you about that. Everybody sits on like the clouds and everyone's wearing white togas. And you can fly and, right, you instantly develop the musical ability to play the harp, right? So when you ask people, it would have to be a miracle for me to be able to play any musical instrument. But, you know, this is the thing. When you ask people to picture what heaven is like, I'm telling you, you laugh at that, but there are people out there thinking that this is what heaven is all about. So they say, hey, you got to be good to get into heaven. Or what about this idea? No, 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 no. Actually, uh, when you get to heaven, that's when you become good. But you got to know something tonight is that the Bible doesn't say anything about that. And in fact, in fact that entire belief is so contradictory to what the Bible says about heaven, but also about how to actually get in there in the first place. You see, the Bible says that you will never be good enough to get into heaven on your own. And if you try, what you're really attempting is religion. I already told you, you don't need religion, you need a redeemer. And the gospel message is essentially this. You've messed up, you can't make it right, it's okay. You don't have this, God's got this. And if you ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins, what he does is he takes all the wrong things that you've done and he removes it as far as the east is from the west and he invites you into heaven, but it's only through your relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. That's how the whole thing actually works. Now, when you become a Christian, something really interesting happens to you. The Bible says that you become a new creation. Now, the Greek word for creation means creature. And when somebody becomes a Christian, they become an entirely new creature. But when you see someone give their life to Jesus, they don't like turn into anything different, do they? No, they're not turning into some kind of creature because all you're seeing is what's on the outside. But what you're not seeing is what's happening on the inside. And isn't that just like humanity's problem? Is that what they're trying to do is going to fix it on the outside, going to behave really good and do all the right things and fix my outside and dress myself up nice so that people think I'm a good person, right? But the problem is not on the outside. The problem is on the inside. And so what Jesus does is he begins to change you from the inside out. And what begins to happen when you become a Christian is it says the resurrection power, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And it begins a process of restoration. In fact, look at what Romans 8.11 says. If the spirit of him who raised Christ, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, when you become a Christian, that sin nature that you got through Adam is done away with and you become completely new on the inside. And there is resurrection power. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now in you. And it's begun a process on the, outs on the inside that you won't see. But around the time that you die, it's going to come in real handy. Like really handy. Okay? 
Now, here's the thing with my kids. So sometimes my kids have what I'm going to call an episode. Some of you aren't parents. You have no idea what I'm talking about. We'll just leave it at that. But sometimes they have an episode. And when they do, sometimes what I do is I get down in their face and I say to them, you know, I know you know you did the wrong thing. I said, but you're better than that. You don't have to do that. You're better than that. And I feel like that's what God says to us. You know, you don't have a sin nature anymore. God's actually done some work inside of you. You're a new creation. There's something new on the inside of you. And when you mess up, I'm telling you right now, God sometimes wants to get down and get in your face. And he wants to tell you, you're better than that. There's something that's, that's new in you. But all of these things that I'm talking about are still in the present. But it's the beginning of restoration. And what the Bible does is it tells about a whole heap of things that are about to happen in the future. Now, I am telling you right now, I read so much for this message. Now, I know that's not important to you. I just want to let you know how hard I worked this week to bring you this message, which you are going to hear in linear progression so you understand the process that's attached to the end times. Because when you look at the text, there's some over here, a little bit from over there. And what you have to do is you have to overlap it. But like L'Oreal says, hey, you're worth it. You're worth it. I'm going to give you my absolute best tonight. All right. So, so here's the thing. The Bible says bits and pieces here and over there. But the Bible is is sneaky. And it doesn't tell you everything about everything. Because remember, this is the Word. And remember, Jesus is the Word incarnate. In other words, this message has been brought to you by the same person who, when he was resurrected, surprised his disciples and went into a room and said, hey guys, I'm back from the dead. What's for lunch? Now he... It's a sneaky kind of guy because they were all freaked out by that. So what are you doing here? He's like, yeah, 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 I'm hungry, right? So this, my point to you is that Jesus sometimes just going to show up and he doesn't tell you everything about everything, but there are some things that we do know. Now, if you ask the average Christian, what happens in the end? Most of them will hopefully say, I'm pretty sure that Jesus comes back. And that is true. But that is like the tip of the iceberg, right? Because why? Because there is so much more that involved in that. And remember, it's sneaky. The Bible is sneaky. So the thing is, is that we don't know the hour that that's happening. We don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back because the Bible is a little bit like the Melbourne weather. In other words, we can kind of get a little bit of an idea about what it might be like, but it's kind of going to do its own thing at the same time. It tells us a lot, but not everything. But having said that, there are some signs that we can look out for in the lead up to Jesus's return I'm going to tell you about all of these right now. And just so you know, these are not in any particular order. All right. So here is the first one. It says the gospel must be preached to all nations, right? Now, where did they get that from? Yeah, the scripture right below that says the gospel must be first or must first be proclaimed to all nations. That's not hard to understand. That's a very simple one. It's a very easy one. Okay. But my question to you is, has this happened or not? It's kind of an interesting thing to think about. Like, for example, well, when was it supposed to have happened? Like, is this the gospel meant to be preached to all nations like today? Or... Was it supposed to be preached to all nations at the time that they wrote it? Because it would have been a lot easier to reach all the nations back then. But now, 
we just keep growing and populating the planet. There's nations all over the globe right now, and some of them haven't heard the gospel. So we say, hey, has this actually come to pass? I don't know. It depends when Jesus wants to say, oh, it was, it was from the time it was written, but not now. This is the thing. So it looks simple, but we go, well, we're not really 100% sure about when that was supposed to happen. All right, so that's an easy one. Let's look at the next one. There is supposed to be a great tribulation. I, I feel like they shouldn't have put the word great in front of it because it almost sounds awesome, only it's not. It's like the worst thing that you could possibly imagine is going to happen. The great tribulation. It's like awesomely very negative. This is what it says, Mark 9, uh, 13, 19 to 20. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. In other words, this is talking about some events that are going to be so dark, that are going to be so bleak on the planet. It's like you, I just think this is going to be horrible. Now, uh, let me ask you again, has this happened? Before you answer, I just want you to think about something. Has this happened? People who live in Australia, in Victoria, in the outer eastern suburbs of the most livable city in the world, right? In other words, what I'm saying is, it really depends on who you ask. Because if I ask you that live in the safest place nearly on the planet, you say to me, no, this hasn't happened, really? There are people that are being persecuted all over the planet right now. And I wonder if we got them in here and asked them, has the great tribulation begun? They might say, yes, absolutely. In fact, there is a Christian research group called Open Door and they look at and do research on solely persecuted Christians. And they have a criteria of what is classified as a persecuted Christian. And they have made a list of the top countries that persecute Christians for their faith. And this is what it looks like. And I don't expect you to be able to read it, but on the right-hand side, you can see that's the list of 50 countries, the top 50 countries where Christians are persecuted. Like in, in number one spot, you have North Korea, and you would be killed for just being a Christian. So when you say, has the great tribulation began, I think it depends on who you ask. For example, did you know that last year, 90,000 Christians were killed for simply being Christians? Would it surprise you to learn that on average, a Christian is killed every six minutes for having faith in Jesus? We are living in a day and an age where persecution is at an all-time high. Never before at any point in history have more Christians been killed for their faith in Jesus. So when we say, no, I don't think it's happened, I think it matters where you live. All right, so that's, that's one. Let's go to the next one. Okay, so the Bible says that there's got to be false prophets working signs and wonders. Mark 13, 22 to 23 says this. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all things beforehand. So do we have this happening right now? I'm not really sure. But if you go back to home tonight and you just Google David Blaine, it's going to freak you out. Because, and if you don't know what I'm talking about, do it. But just have the light on when you do. Because he's doing some freaky stuff. I've seen him pull people's bodies apart. And they're just walking around on their hands. And then he puts them back together. I don't know how he does it. I'm not saying that he's a false prophet. Or, or, I'm saying crazy stuff happens. And just because you haven't been exposed to it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. But in fact, if you were to look back through history and re even just reading the Bible, you would know that when Moses came before Pharaoh, he took his staff and he threw it down. And then Pharaoh's magicians, they threw their staffs down. And guess what? They all became snakes. 
Again, snakes have nothing to offer you, all right? So here's the thing. Here's, here, here's my point. People have been doing signs and wonders for thousands of years. False prophets have always existed. People that point others in a direction away from, from, from Jesus. So has this happened yet? On what scale? I really don't know. But yes, absolutely, there are people in the planet today that are doing this. All right, next one. There will be signs in the heavens. Mark 13, 24 to 25 says... But in those days, after that tribulation, the great tribulation, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Now, we're pretty sure that this hasn't happened yet, because literally, if the stars fell out of the sky, you would probably know about it, okay? But just before you feel really comfortable, I want you to think about this. If I ask you tonight, what are you doing straight after the service? You say, we're all going to grill to hang out. We should be arriving around about eight o'clock. So you're making plans for your evening, okay? All right. If you would have that conversation with Jesus and say, hey, what are you up to tonight? He could turn around and say, well, at 10 past eight, the sky is going to go dark and the stars are going to fall and the moon is not going to give its light and, and, and the powers of heavens will be shaken. And then at about 8.30, I'm coming back. My point is this. Don't feel so comfortable that you haven't seen that because that could happen 10 minutes later, Jesus shows up. So just because it hasn't happened, don't, don't feel at peace about that. This could all happen in just one moment. All right, let's look at the next one. It says that there will be salvation of Israel, Romans eleven twenty five to 26. Now remember, all these things have got to happen in the lead up to Jesus coming back. It says, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel, say all Israel, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. That's Israel. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, we know that this hasn't happened because not all Israel has come to faith. So we're pretty certain about that one. But the Bible says that that needs to happen. So when it does, look out. And then this last one that everyone seems to know about, which is the rise of the Antichrist. So 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 to 4 says this. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day, the day, that day, the judgment day, the day, when, or the day when Christ returns, will not come unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, what a title that is, the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that, he, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Now, this is the thing. If you ask people, has the Antichrist come? You're going to get all kinds of answers. People are like, yes, yes, absolutely. I think nearly every generation has said the same thing. Yes, the Antichrist is here. And we know who it is. It's Donald Trump. <laughs> and we know this because he had triangle cufflinks, which means he was put there by the Illuminati. <laughs> and the Illuminati own all geometric shapes, including triangles. By the way, you didn't know this, but this is an actual fact. This is an actual fact. <laughs> if you wear triangles, you're part of the Illuminati. No, this is crazy. But why are there there's so many conspiracy theorists right out there? I'm telling you, you think I'm making this stuff up. I've heard people talking about Donald Trump is the Antichrist. Donald Trump is the Antichrist. Really? Well, you know, I reckon there would be people that might have a better profile as the Antichrist than Donald Trump. For example, I personally think that the Antichrist is going to be a whole lot smoother than Donald Trump. He's probably better at bringing people together as well. So the Antichrist is going to have some skills that we probably haven't seen in Donald Trump yet. But how about this, right? Why wouldn't Emperor Nero have been the Antichrist? And for those of you that don't know, Emperor Nero, he, 
he actually set fire to his own town, to his own city, and then he blamed the Christians, which gave him a reason to persecute them. And he used to find Christians and trap them, and they used to run a stake through them from top to bottom. And then he would line the walkways of his palace with Christians that have been impaled on stakes and he would set them on fire at night to light the walkway. Now, I don't know if, but if you ask me, that's a better antichrist than Donald Trump. Why not Hitler? Why not Hitler? Hitler is responsible for so many people being killed. Was he the antichrist? Well, here's the truth about that. No, I don't think that Donald Trump is the antichrist. And I don't think that Nero was. And I don't think that Hitler was. Because there's a scripture right after this one that tells us something else. 2 Thessalonians 2, 8 says, And then the lawless one will be revealed. That's the antichrist. Whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. In other words, when Jesus comes back, he's going to kill the Antichrist. So we know that because those guys died and Jesus didn't come back, they can't be the Antichrist, which means something else. It means that we haven't yet seen him. It doesn't mean that he doesn't presently exist. It just means that we don't know who he is quite yet. Now you look at all of these signs and these are all the things that we've got to wrap our heads around. And I'm telling you right now, people have been trying to figure out when Jesus is going to return and they've been trying to figure this out for so long. And I'm going to do something tonight and I'm going to tell you something that I believe. I'm not so sure that anyone else has discovered this. I'm about to tell you. Are you ready for this? It's like three people. Are you ready? Because I'm about to tell you, I'm about to tell you what time it's going to be when Jesus comes back. You ready? All right. right. It's going to be the morning. And the afternoon. Because it's a global event and it's got to be morning somewhere and it's going to be the after. Heck, it's probably it's going to be midnight somewhere and it's going to be dusk in another place, right? We know that when he comes back, that's as comfortable as I feel to tell you about the time when Jesus is going to come back. But when he does, we will all know about it. Did you know that there have been people that for years have been trying to predict it and getting it wrong? like the Jehovah's Witnesses, and just for a little bit of fun, and I'm not making fun, but you get the idea. I thought I would just bring up all the times that they got it wrong. Are you familiar with the phrase, just quit while you're ahead? It's like, when you just kept getting things wrong, wouldn't you just say, no, we're just, just let it be. We'll just figure it out when it happens, right? But they didn't do it. They said, no, it's going to happen here, and it's going to happen there. And, and here's the thing about it. This is, this is unbelievable, right? Did you know that in the lead up to a lot of these predicted dates that Jehovah's Witnesses, what they were doing is they were pulling their kids out of school early, like a month before the end of the world? I don't even know why they were doing that. Maybe just want to spend a little bit more time with their kids before Jesus comes back. I don't understand it. A lot of them were quitting jobs. It's like they're like, we don't need to work anymore. Jesus coming back. I'm not working a day more than I have to. Some people were selling houses. They're like, why are you selling your house? Oh, about a month time, Jesus is going to come back. So there's going to have to be a short settlement. All right. So you have to fix this thing real quick. All right. This is the thing. I'm telling you right now, you could be so focused on the future that you are of no value to the people around you presently. Don't get, hey, listen, hey, don't get so caught up in what might happen and have both eyes on the future being totally consumed by that, that you forget to live in the present. You know, just because these things are going to happen, it doesn't change one bit what I do as a Christian. I wake up every day with purpose in my life to worship God and to lead other people to Jesus. And whether those things are happening and they're a month away or not, wouldn't make a difference to me. I know that every day I'm going to get up and I'm going to continue to serve my God and serve this church. And it's like, it doesn't have to change your life. But sometimes people get so caught up in it. Let me tell you this, no 
Nobody knows when Jesus is coming back. No one knows the answer to that. But I can tell you a little bit about what the world will be like when he does. So what you had is Jesus came and he gave his life and we had salvation. And then Jesus commissioned the church. I don't know if everybody knows that here, but did you know that Jesus commissioned the church? It's his idea. So after Jesus was died, buried and resurrected, it ushered in the age of the church. And we live in that present age right now. So far, all Christians agree on this fact, but they tend to disagree about what happens next. And it has everything to do with this period of time called the millennium. And the millennium is Latin for a thousand years. And so the Bible talks about this period of time, which I'm going to explain in just a moment, this period of a thousand years. And when does it, does it happen here? Does it happen there? Is it before Jesus comes back? Is it after Jesus comes back? People are trying to figure it out. Now, there are three main schools of thought. But I'm going to tell you for the sake of time about the one that I think is the most accurate based on everything that I've read. And by the way, this is the most widely accepted belief around the process of what will happen when Jesus returns. Does that make sense? All right, now this is called premillennialism, and this is where it starts to get wild, all right? This is where it gets crazy. So right now, we live in the church age. Now, at the end of the church age, there is something called the tribulation, and we already looked at that. We know what that is. But after the tribulation, Jesus will return. And when he does, this is what the Bible says about his return. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 to 17, it says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will be first to rise. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord." So here is what that passage is really saying. It's saying that there is going to come a time where all over the earth, there will be the sound of a trumpet, which will be the heralding of Jesus returning. Sometimes I get into my car and my Bluetooth will automatically connect to the radio. And in the morning... Oh, you have no idea. I, I lead some pretty amazing worship sessions in my car by myself, okay? I will crank the music. I will crank the music. And what happens is I get into the car and it connects and it comes on at max volume and it scares me so that I need to go change my pants. <laughs> totally freaks me out, right? Now, I think that's a picture of what's going to happen when the trumpets sound all around the world because suddenly it's going to be this big noise, it's going to be a trumpet, and they're going to say, where did the trumpets come from? Hey, everybody, turn your radios down. <gasps> we can still hear it. Where is it coming from, right? And then there's a whole heap of people changing their pants. <laughs> because how do we shut it off? We don't know what's going to happen. Now, here's what happens after you hear the heralding of Jesus coming, right? Something happens next. It says that the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. So I want you to stay with me because we're about to bring this home and you've got to listen into this because this is where it gets wild. The people, the Christians who have been alive on planet earth since the beginning, and I don't know how many people God plans to resurrect, but at this very moment, all the Christians... At this point, God will resurrect and they will come back from the dead. Now their souls have been in heaven, but their souls will be reunited with their bodies. And then it says something which I think is extra cool. It says that those who are alive at the coming, at the return of Jesus, will be caught up in the air. Now I don't know what that means, but it sounds like we're going to fly. And I'm really hoping that Jesus comes back before I die because I just think that sounds really cool. So the believers, the, the ones that have died, they're going to be reunited with their souls. And then after that, the believers that are on earth at the time that Jesus comes back, they are going to be caught up in the air with Christ. Now, I used to have this dog and this dog would come and bring me the dead bodies of animals. 
like dig up like rabbits and things, you know, and bring them to me. You know, like a dog is really happy when it does that. Has no idea how disgusting you think it is. And so I would look at these things. I'm like, oh gosh, can you please just, just take it away? I don't, I don't want to see that. What do you reckon bodies are going to look like after they've, they've been dead for like such a long time? Well, here's the thing about that. When their souls are reunited with their bodies, it's not the same body that went into the ground. It's something different. If you've been around church for a little while, you might have heard this, this term. It says that Christ is the first fruits. What's that about? We're saying that he is the first of a new kind of human being. And the point of the first fruits is to say that the rest of humanity that believes in Jesus is going to follow after him. What they get is not the body that went into the ground, but they get what's called a resurrected body. And that is a body that doesn't die. See, Christ was resurrected, but he wasn't, his body wasn't subject to death. When this happens, you'll get the exact same thing if you're a follower of Jesus. So when Jesus comes back, this is what's going to happen. <clears throat> and then the Bible says something else happens at the time of Jesus' return. Have a look at this. Revelation 21 to 3 says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, <clears throat> And a great chain. And he seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Now that's that millennium that we're talking about. And he threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer. This is a period of time where Satan will be held back from the, from the earth for a thousand years, he'll be chained up and he won't have any influence over the earth. Now, this is what it says will happen during that time. It says, Revelation 24 to 5, in talking of the millennium, it says, They, being the resurrected believers and the Christians who were on the earth and alive at the time that Jesus came back. It says, The resurrected believers, they came to life and they reigned with Christ for how long? For how long? A thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. And this was the first resurrection. There are two resurrections. The one we're reading about now is the time when only the Christians will be resurrected and they enter into that millennium with, with resurrected bodies that will not decay, that will not be broken, that are not subject to the things that our bodies are presently subjected to. And it says that they will reign with Christ on the earth for a period of a thousand years. And I thought, man, if you bring back all the Christians, is it going to get kind of overpopulated? Here's where it gets really wild. It says that the earth will begin to be renewed. Now, it's not the new earth yet, but it's going to begin to be renewed, which means, look, trust me, this planet is big enough for all of us to fit. It's just that there's a whole heap of it that's desert. But if it was renewed and completely habitable, there would be plenty of room for all of us to fit here on the planet. And so during this period of time, what we're not saying is that there will be no sin because come on, at the time that Jesus came back, there were still people that had not put their faith in Jesus. And so at the crossing over into that period of a thousand years, those that are Christians that were resurrected and Christians at the time will enter into that period and not die. But the people that weren't Christians at the time, they'll just be like we are now. They enter into that period of a thousand years. Now imagine this. Isn't this crazy? You're born and you meet somebody in their mid-30s. And, mid and around the time that you're a grandpa or a grandma, you look back and you're like, you're still in your mid-30s. What the heck? Now, here's the crazy part. The Bible says that despite the fact that there will be people that live like that and don't die, there will still be people saying, yeah, I don't know about this. I'm not really sure. I'm like, what are you, crazy? People just don't stop aging, right? But the Bible says there will be people whose hearts are so hard that even despite this, that they're not going to change their minds about it. Now, at the end of this 1,000 years, <clears throat> something else happens. It's the defeat of Satan. It says, When the thousand years were ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations. 
But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night. At the end of a thousand years, Satan is going to be released. Why? I have no idea. If you ask me, it's a bad idea. And if God decides to ever run anything by me, I would tell him, what are you expecting from him? He's going to get crazy. Don't you understand that he's going to try to lead this huge war against God's people? I don't know. This is just God. He just does whatever he wants to do. Amazingly, he doesn't run it past me, right? So this is what's going to happen, right? Oh, I've got a few ideas for him. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But what will happen at this time is, very quickly, Satan will be defeated. And at this moment, all the people that died throughout all of history that never put their faith in Jesus, at that moment, they will be resurrected. That is the second resurrection. The Bible says there's the first resurrection. That's the resurrection of Christians. The second resurrection is the resurrection of all those people who have died throughout eternity, but they have no faith in God. Now, here's where it gets a little bit crazy again. Their souls that whole time have been in the place we call hell. And they are reunited with their body for the sole purpose of judgment. Now, there will come a day where everyone will be judged. You know when you meet people and they say, I love Jesus. He's so loving, so kind. Just, you know, just love. Hey, hey, he's the one that's going to, he's not judgmental. He's doing all the judging, like all of it. Who's he going to judge? Everyone. Angels, believers, and unbelievers. And it all happens in this one moment. See, the angels that get judged, they're the fallen angels. The believers that get judged, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, can I tell you that all of your judgment for your sin happened on the cross? You don't have to worry about being judged on your sin. That's the whole point of the entire thing is that that's happened at the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins. So what are you being judged on? Well, you're being judged on how you lived. You're being judged on what you did. Maybe during that period of a thousand years and there are different degrees of rewards that are handed out to their believers because there's an age that's coming after this one and there will be responsibilities and some people are gonna be you know, looking after cities and some people looking after smaller cities and how are you gonna figure out who's got the capacity to do what? Well, you have to make a judgment call somewhere and that's what Jesus does on that day. But then, and this is really serious, there are people who have not put their faith in Jesus and they have to face the judgment of Jesus as well. This is what the Bible says about that. Revelation 20, 12. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and the books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. You place your faith in Jesus, your name goes straight into the book of life. You don't place your faith in Jesus, your name is placed in the book of the dead. And if you don't find a way to deal with the problem of sin right here, right now, during your time on planet earth, you will have to deal with it on that day. One of my favorite scriptures it's Romans 8.1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ, but the reverse has to also be true. Those that are not in Christ, they are condemned by what? By their own actions and behaviors. It doesn't have to be that way. You got to know how much God loves people, so much that he would send his own son to pay the penalty for sin, so that this would never have to happen. And yet despite that, there are still people that choose to go to the grave. And say, I'm not going to put my trust or my faith in Jesus. And if they do that, look, I don't know how to get around this text. Or the truth about what the scriptures say. So I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says. Those that get condemned, the unbelievers on that day, they will be sent straight back to hell. How are you people talking about hell? It's going to be a party 
It's going to be where my friends are. We're going to hang out together. You have no idea what hell's going to be like. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 25, 41 and 46. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. Say eternal. Say eternal. Eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, if you read that properly, you will understand that when God created hell, it was not created for people. It was created for the beings in heaven that decided to rebel against God. He created it for them, not for people. But if people say, I don't want anything to do with you, God, he says, well, we got a place for you. I don't want to put you there. But you refuse to ask for my help. And so this is the place that you'd be sent. Now, the thing is, if it was just that you had to do your time, 20 years, 30 years, it would be horrible, but you could get away with it. This is what the Bible says. It never ends. If you try to think of forever, it will hurt your brain. You got to imagine this never ends. There's no second chances. This is it. This is why this whole thing is so significant. But then after God judges, He does the thing that we've been waiting for. He creates a new heaven and a new earth. Revelation 21, 1 to 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eye and death shall be no more. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be no mourning because there's no death, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Eventually, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And they won't be separate anymore. In fact, the Bible says that the two will come together. And when God restores the earth and brings heaven to earth, God will dwell in that place and people will just dwell in the presence of God. There's no clouds, no togas, no harps. I don't know, there might be harps. I'm not sure about that, but... I can tell you this, heaven will literally be on earth. Is that the future that you were expecting? The Bible says that in that place, there will be no darkness. There's no death. He is the father of lights. Light literally emanates from his being. Sorry to those of you that like to sleep in. There's light light all the time. It's just going to be light. Why? Because that's who God is in Him. There's no darkness. See, God is restoring all things. And there is eternal purpose that's attached to your decisions that you make today. See, I've always been told, and you've probably heard this too. You can't take it with you. It's true. You can't take anything with you. But did you know that you can pay it forward? See, this is what Jesus said. He said, Don't store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust can get to them. No, he says, store your treasure in heaven. And I thought to myself, if I could store anything, my treasure, and pay something forwards into that place from here, what would I do? Well, I know I can't send my money there because... I can't jump on the internet and send it transdimensionally. That's not going to work. And I can't take my stuff with me. It's going to, that's not going to work either. So if, if I could send anything and pay it forwards from this place to there, what would I send? And you know what I would send? Me? I would send people. I would send people from this place here on earth and I would do everything I could to send them 
to the place that we're talking about, that place where heaven meets earth. I would send people to that. I think Jesus was onto the same thing. That's why it's called the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. He said, we need everyone, not like one or two of you. We need everyone, all of our people, not even our best or our brightest. We need everyone's attention to be on this one thing called the Great Commission because we've got to do everything we can to get people from where they are here to that place over there. If I could do anything, I would send people from here to there. The Bible says that what we do in this place, it matters eternally. Let me tell you a really quick story. There's a friend of mine, he's a pastor at another church. And this week has been nothing but a tragedy for them and their community. You see, there was a family in their church and And the father, he left his house on a Monday morning. This is six days ago. Six days ago, he left his house on a Monday morning. He probably said goodbye to his kids. He gave them a kiss. And no doubt he expected to see them when he came home that night. He went out and unfortunately was in a motorbike accident. And he never came home. So my friend, he had to go to these kids and sit down with them and say, I'm so sorry, but dad's not coming back. It's the end. He's, he's died. He's passed away. He watched as these kids, their heart broke. They expected to see their dad. And my point is we have no idea how much time we have on this planet we make plans as if we expect to be here tomorrow, but we have no idea when the end will come. You don't know and I don't know. And thank God that this man had given his life to Jesus and that he was actually saved. Did you know that either Jesus is going to come back or you're going to die on the way? But either way, whatever happens, you need to make a decision about your eternal destiny and you need to do it while you're on earth and you never know when your time's gonna be up because eventually your past will catch up with your future. You know what I would do if it were up to me? I would send you, I would send your friends I would send your sporting clubs. I would send your cousins and your sisters and your aunties and your uncles. If, I, if it was up to me, I would go to your workplace and I would send everyone from your workplace to that place called heaven. But here's the part. It's not up to me. I don't get to do that. I can't make anybody go there. That's something that people have to decide for themselves. That's a decision that you have to make. That's a decision that they have to make. If it was up to me, I would do it. It's not up to me, but it is up to you. Why don't we stand together tonight? We trust you enjoyed this week's message. For any more information about Activate Church, check out our website, www.activatechurch.com or download our app online and have a great week.